Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South. I'm joined, as usually is the case, by Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. Eric, we have a lot to get to. Um, obviously, Florida outclassed on their home floor by a UConn team that probably ends up being number one when the new rankings come out this week. Um, just kind of initial thoughts on uh, UConn's 75-54 win in Gainesville. Yeah, it's fun to to have these games, to have a team like like UConn who's in the position they're in to, to be in Gainesville. I think that's awesome. Um, I know a lot of people were, were tweeting about the uh, the environment in, in the O-Dome. Um, I guess that just uh, is what it is. I don't really have any uh, comments on that. I just, uh, uh, you could tell that people are a little bit in a wait and see mode. Maybe the late tip did have something to do with it. I, I, I'm not sure, but... Um, it's fun to have those games and, and regarding whether they'll be number one, I'll be interested, but we are recording several days after this game. And again, sorry to those who wanted to uh, show up uh, right after, but, uh, uh, as we record on Sunday, um, morning for me, afternoon for Neil, uh, Yukon uh, is number one in Ken Palm and they're number one in the net. So, uh, I do think that was, that's, um, that's, you know, they could very well be number one in the AP poll. And even if they're not, if someone wants to refer to them as the number one team, you have several metrics that are uh, pretty well established uh, to point to. So I'm pretty comfortable calling them the number one team. And uh, they definitely look like it's um, about the Gators. And uh, I think we'll have uh, we'll have plenty to get into about that. That we will. Before we dive into that, uh, we're going to do something that, that we have not done in five years. Um, so um, I just want to let people know that we are going to put up a Patreon. Um, at this point, it'll be a one-time thing. We're not like establishing a subscription service. We're not going the route of um, some of the other shows. And maybe that's really smart of them and not so smart of us. Who knows? Um, you know, certainly what Dave has done at Gators Breakdown, our buddy Dave Waters makes a ton of sense. And, and I think we would probably do that. Honestly, like it would help to have a better team before we did that. Um and I, I don't like mean that in a derogatory way. I just think this Florida team is kind of finding its way right now. Um, but we are going to put up a Patreon after five years. There are some overhead costs. For example, our host and our platform on StreamYard has all been out of pocket for several seasons. Um, just little things. You know, I'm sure a lot of people would love for me to have a good microphone as opposed to the one I had that broke about two and a half years into the show that I've never replaced. Um, things like that. I'd also really like to just be in a position at some point to, to get Eric down to a game that he could watch with me so that, you know, we could enjoy that and maybe host a tailgate, which I would be happy to, to kind of finance. But the point being, um, anything that you guys can give in this spirit of giving, um, we would certainly appreciate. Um, and I think, you know, we have tried very, very hard to, give you guys good content uh, to be fair. Um, we've actually broken news a couple different times. We have avoided breaking news when we aren't sure about things. Plenty of other times where we kind of heard something. And honestly, most of the time, I think Eric would tell you what we heard ended up being true, but we didn't want to break anything because we couldn't corroborate it. We were trying to follow like just general rules of journalism. The point being, we want to shoot straight with you. We want to tell you guys the truth. We want to be fair to both the coaching staffs uh, and you as listeners. Um, we're very grateful for you all. Um, I don't think you get over 300,000 listens, 100,000 of which are in the last year, if, if people don't trust what we say. But 
Um, it would help us a lot if you guys could uh, find it in your hearts to, you know, honestly, it's sort of like just give us a tip. <laughs> um, so thank you. And um, we're going to dive, I guess, into the into the UConn game now, which honestly, Eric, um, I think it took all of about 10 minutes to figure out that Florida was going to have trouble in this game. And I thought that trouble really started on the offensive end. Yeah, uh, the, it, it's kind of an interesting push and pull here where I feel like even if we want to talk about the podcast as, as some form of metric for this, um, how many times we've had to talk about defense being a problem versus offense. Um, well, this one, I, I definitely feel like it was it was the offense. And and uh, again, maybe there was a little bit of, I, I don't even want to say fool's gold when they were putting up points against low major opponents before this where the offense was was looking pretty good running what they were running, but we weren't really a, a, a big fan uh, of it. And uh, again, I I think I just answer a game like this, just questioning if if their variations of of continuity ball screen are what what's best, um, especially against. Uh, well, of course, like UConn is going to make a lot of offenses look look not very good this year. So I, again, you, it's not like you need to fully overreact, but this is not the first time where Florida's continuity ball screen has, has not looked great. Uh, I don't know if they've got the best personnel to have this onslaught of empty side ball screens. I'm not sure it's getting the best out of Colin Castleton, who I think was very bottled up and, and frustrated in this one. And um, I think that they, I think the Gators have one elite pick and roll ball handler in Trey Bonham. I would classify Kyle Lofton as a okay ball handler this is something I will have, uh, not just Kyle Lofton, but everyone on the team. It's, it's uh, soon I'll, I'll write something about, about this, but, uh, and, and, you know, Myron Jones, uh, if we want to look for a reason that he's on the floor, sneakily good pick and roll numbers as in they're okay. And I think a lot of people would think that they'd be awful. And that's also the case last year. He actually was okay in ball screens, but right now this, this offense that the, that the Gators are using is a bunch of guys who are not great at pick and rolls uh, running pick and rolls against a really good pick and roll defensive team in, in UConn. So I just, I, I'm not sure it fits this personnel. I'm not sure it's getting the best out of their guys. And I think like you said, you could probably, you know, it, it, it did not take long. I think maybe you were generous with 10 minutes to say that it, uh, that's when you, that, that's how long it took to, to see that Florida was in trouble, particularly on the offensive end. Yeah, I mean, and I that's an it would be really interesting to go back through five years of podcasts and kind of dissect <laughs> how often uh, defense versus offense was the problem. Um, I, you know, certainly we had a season where we talked more about defense, uh, especially, you know, maybe even a season and a half once Trey Mann started to really play like an NBA player. Um, but this was offense, and and in fact, two points to add to Eric's. Um, I guess one sort of building off what Eric's saying and then one independent point to kind of corroborate it. Uh, Danny Hurley said that Florida took them out of what they wanted to do uh, better than anyone they'd played. Now, take that with a grain of salt because they're crushing everyone. But it was their low points per possession game so far um, for, for UConn. So Florida, I thought, defended well enough to be in this basketball game. Um, and I will defend that. Uh, take despite the final score. Um, and La uh, Lofton, 
Hurley was particularly complimentary of Kyle Lofton defensively um, and, you know, Florida's backcourt defensively, which is interesting to me because, you know, Andre Jackson had such a nice game and, um, you know, but still that's, you know, I think that's at least worth noting, Eric. Second, um, to Eric's point, continuity ball screens. Look, if they're going to do that, then commit to it. What I think is the problem is, well, I really think it's twofold. One, I'm not certain who this staff thinks can get a basket if it's not Colin Castleton. And if that's their thought process, Eric, let's just stick with this point and I'll get to the second one as we continue the conversation. Um they don't seem to have a lot of secondary ideas about how to get Colin Castleton the basketball. And I think it's frustrating Colin. And I think he receives way too many passes at like the elbow area. When like last year, part of the reason I see this false narrative on Twitter that Colin always gets dominated by elite bigs. And that's just not true. Like watch the Auburn games from last year, watch LSU games where Colin has feasted against quality bigs. But the reason for that was, for all their flaws, Mike White and his staff did a marvelous job of spacing the floor and getting him the ball deep. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm probably guilty of, of that narrative a little bit as well because I do think in in Colin Castleton's first year, um, he wasn't always very good at uh, against you know good bigs. Um, and then last year, I thought he was able to kind of shut me up a little bit. Um, right. But. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where, especially this kind of slot drive, a lot of continuity ball screen teams um, refer to because, again, as as we've talked about, um, the basic action, which Florida runs a slightly more complex version than like completely typical continuity ball screen, but the base action and you you'll you'll know it when you see it is because the point guard will start to dribble towards a side of with with two players, and the first wing that they're dribbling at is going to cut through to the opposite side. So when you see that action. You can call it continuity ball screen. Um, again, it's not like that catch-all for exactly what, what the Gators are doing, but I think it's fair for the purposes of discussion to call it continuity ball screen. So there's their empty side ball screen because the side that had two now has the, the player with the ball and one other player as that wing has been pushed through to the opposite side. And if there's nothing there, a big that's currently on the block is going to lift and get a ball reversal then he's going to dribble towards the side, the opposite side, and they're going to cut through that. And you, that's why it's continuity ball screen. So um, one of the ways that they have gotten Colin Castle looks as well has been those, these like slot drives, they call it, where when the ball gets reversed to Colin Castleton, who is now right at the kind of the point guard position in, in five out spacing, he can, you know, dribble down and he's had a couple okay looks, but it's, again, it's, you know, Neil was mentioning kind of elbow touches this is him dribbling a guy down from behind the three-point line where I think we'd just like to see what West Virginia does and set really tight flex screen duck-ins where he can catch the ball and, and not have to use even a dribble if he doesn't want to. So um, we'd like to see his life made a little bit easier. Uh, pretty tough matchup for him again with with Sunogo and, and Klingon, who um, I think Dyke said on the broadcast that uh, he was the best backup center in the country. And I thought about it for a brief moment. And I said, well, I certainly can't think of, of a better one um, to bring that seven foot two freshman who is super high energy and, and, and played smart. That was, you know, pretty impressive, but it's, again, it's one of those things. It's like, well, Florida's it's, it's like, that's one of the better front courts in the country or center uh, rotations. It's not like, uh, you know, Florida's going to play a couple teams where I would say that there's, front court rotations on par with that. So yeah, I think you got to figure out how to use, use him the best, but again, it's just one of those times too, we're talking about the continuity ball screen and using Colin Katzen primarily as a role man 
is that the best way to use him? I think it's a good way to use him. He's a good roller. Um, I think that um, that empty side ball screen opens up the possibility for them to get that little short roll pass to him on an empty side that kind of turns into a little bit of a, of a mid post ISO. But again, I just don't think we want elbow ISOs. We don't want, you know, a mid post ISO. We'd like to see him getting deep post catches, potentially even on a switch because of, you know, things like we see with West Virginia and a little bit of um, UConn making things a little bit easier. And um, the other, the other player that I thought just was notably, or it has been noticeably not helped with continuity ball screen is Kowasi Reeves. I think it played a role in his uh, sabbatical when he did not get on the floor for a couple of games. And then, yeah, we saw him, have you know one i'll say pretty bad turnover where he was a pick and roll ball handler on an empty side ball screen which is what you have to do if you're a perimeter player within the scheme uh is kawasi reeves is his best skill running pick and rolls uh no it's not would you love to see him get better absolutely if he's going to be the player we think he, he's going to be uh yeah you'd want to you want to see him get get better in ball screens and um you know he turned the ball over trying to pass it over the top of a defender and you like to see him make that pass at six 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 seven um, but it was just a, another example where I'd mentioned earlier this season, if they were going to play continuity ball screen, I did not think it was going to benefit Kwesi Reeves. Um, I would say that this game was, was an example. He had a couple tough moments, so it's just, you know, up and down the line. Who, who is this offense best for? I guess it's Kyle Lofton and, and, and Trey Bonham is, do you want to build your offense around what's best for, for those two guys with, with all due respect to them, that's really not what I'm, I would be looking to do. That would be my, my reaction. Yeah. I mean, I think so two things, again, this is kind of the theme here. I I'm really just building on stuff Eric said, but two kind of additional thoughts of that. And one was going to be about Kowasi Reeves. And I just think they need to get out of continuity and run actions for Kowasi. Um, that would kind of be my my thought. Like you don't have to stay in continuity ball screen all the time. It can be something that you do, but they have to get Koisi Reeves more looks because he's your best shooter. Um, and I, I say that with all due respect to Will Richard. I mean, we just saw like for the first time what happens when, or, you know, and I think Will will improve. Certainly um, he's going to get better as a player, but, you know, he played a big boy university uh, for the first time and was just completely not a factor in the game and a liability on the defensive end because he wasn't quick enough um, laterally, I thought, to to kind of play with these guys. And, it, you know, it, that was curious to me. He got 25 minutes and, you know, they certainly weren't particularly effective minutes. Um, so that was interesting. But I, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. And I, I started there and caught myself here. Um, I think the second one is there's other stuff you can do in continuity. Like Florida, when they've gotten the ball kind of deep to Colin, they've had these nice back cuts, right? And I think you can back cut a little more in continuity ball screen. Like you can run like what, like three side actions, right, Eric, where maybe you start in horns and you set like a UCLA screen and then somebody back cuts. Um, and I think maybe – just doing some of that to get these defenses that right now, like people are just kind of camped out. I mean, this is what I would do if I were defending Florida. And this is what some teams are doing. FAU, UConn, um, certainly West Virginia. They're just sitting in lanes. Like you have to move these defenders out of these lanes. Um, especially if you're going to pick and roll all the time. 
Yeah, and just quickly on Willa Richard, I guess you could also say the offense has been good for him because he's gotten a bunch of he's been the one guy that's kind of gotten open threes and hit them. But it's I think it's also worth noting that right now Florida, who like like Todd Golden wants to shoot a lot of threes, and right now Florida is three hundred and third in the country in three point attempts. And I think part of the reason why is because this isn't the West Coast Conference where where teams are going to overcommit to guarding these empty side ball screens, and you don't get that corner skip. Where watching a lot of this West West Coast basketball, where you get that corner skip all the time on teams that are sucking in to take away that role on the empty side ball screen. Whereas teams like West Virginia and um, uh, and UConn are just playing so aggressively, whether hedging, whether icing, or and and just pushing that action towards the midline. Um, they're just not getting the threes generated from this offense that I think they probably expected to. And I think that you can look at that three point uh, attempt kind of rate and say that this is one of the things that like, that would be another thing that I would point to and saying, this is not going to work because I'd be pretty shocked if Florida staff was going into the season thinking, okay, we're, we're like, we're not going to shoot a lot of threes. Um, we're probably going to try to get it inside a little bit more. Um, like I'm pretty sure their game plan. And, and I don't know, man, someone could probably find quotes about it too, but you could probably find quotes with every coach in the country talking about how they want to shoot a lot of threes. But uh, especially with Todd Golden, I, I don't think that he was, he's trying to get th- 303rd in the country in three point attempts. It's probably meant to be a lot higher. And I bet he thought he was going to get more three point attempts out of the continuity ball screen. And that just has not been the case against high major teams. Um, the other thing is about Will Richard. I, I do wonder if what role his injury played and maybe he ended up playing more minutes than even looking at the minute number. It's like one of those things where it's like, Oh, maybe he, he was totally okay. Yeah. With that amount of, but it's, I just, I, it's, I have nothing else to really add. I don't have any in, intel on it, but of course him coming off an injury and he did not look, uh, like you said, didn't look great, um, on the perimeter where he has been good. And, and even just his motions were like very aggressive. Like he was almost trying to like, make up for being a little slower to that injured knee side where it wasn't like kind of his smooth staying in a stance. It was like choppy or hard lateral, you know, choppy movement. So anyways, we will, we will see. Um, luckily they've got some, some time to, to recover here before the next one. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's just one of those things where I think about like the teams that are also going to just kind of deny that bar reversal and, and maybe ice, maybe keep that thing on one, on one side of the floor. It's, it's just going to be tough. And again, the continuity ball screen, is a little bit of death by a thousand cuts. It's like, can you make a team have to guard four pick and rolls in one possession? And eventually if you make them guard four actions, that, that is the one thing that, that can be good about it is I like the concept of like, can you make a team have to guard four actions in one possession? It's like, well, you can probably within continuity ball screen get in against a lot of defenses, get four side pick and rolls. And it's like, okay, you put four combinations of, of defenders into side pick and rolls and make them guard that four times. Okay. Like one of the times they'll slip up and, and you can get an open shot, but these teams that keep the ball on one side of the floor or really deny that ball reversal to a center, which you need that's where these plays can really blow up. And that's kind of why continuity ball screen, which has been very, very popular in the mid-major levels, had kind of fallen out of favor. And then Virginia won a national championship kind of running it. And that kind of gave a little bit of a surge. But I mean, generally speaking, we don't talk continuity ball screen because we don't see it in the SEC. I like I would get, just give that as, as an example. I don't remember an SEC team running it. And maybe a team would for, for one possession or or something but but teams that as committed to it uh yeah we just don't don't really see and 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 again like maybe that's why i mean we'll 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 see if florida figures it out or decides to do something else but um i will say the ones the things i did like out of florida's offense um 
like when they got into Chicago action, some pin down into dribble handoff, a little bit more of the the Princeton inspired stuff we saw at San Francisco. Um, that's where they got one of the back cuts. I like they had a really nice play um, running kind of misdirection into a stagger. I, 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 I do. There are glimpses of, 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 of some stuff we really like the, just the, I would say unfortunate matter is it seems like that stuff is, is a little more is, is not within the, the, the core of what they're doing. And, uh, but yeah, no, every, everyone's, everyone's learning and, 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 and perhaps we, we start to see a little bit more of that, but I won't say that, that the Gators are running nothing of, of that, that we really like. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, I mean, I, I, go on. Yeah. Sorry. I don't No, I, I, so I don't, I don't mean to interrupt you at all. I like, I like the idea that they, when they started these horn sets and then they set like sort of a UCLA screen where the, you know, point guard passes to a wing often will Richard um, like that is the start of a really good action. <laughs> My problem. And I think this is what people perceive as stagnant. Now, maybe the listeners will hop in our mentions and correct us. And that, that would be fantastic by the way, or just tell us that's not what we mean. Um, but to me, like the idea that Florida is stagnant offensively, at least sometimes comes about comes with what happens after that, right? Like what happens after that UCLA screen? I don't see enough other stuff going on. Like there's not usually a back cut to pull a defender out of a lane. There's not enough flow to it. It's just kind of like horns pass screen and then attack. And like, I understand that Florida wants to play high possession games, but you still have to have like room uh, in the lanes to attack the basket. And if defenders can just drop down after that UCLA screen is set, it's difficult unless you're just cranking out jump shots. It's kind of funny. I, I mean, it's, it's, it's not, am I, am I like way off here or what do you No, And actually that's one of their entries into the continuity ball screen that I like the most is when they start in kind of a horns look as, as opposed to just the typical, like bring the ball up, get to five spots, push that wing through and get, get into it. They, they do have a nice kind of, horns action to to get and that's why i kind of wanted to also just stop myself when i was talking and saying that florida wasn't playing typical continuity ball screen and uh are doing something a little bit more complex because i at least like that entry that they go into and it actually kind of looks like that's where they could very quickly get into some pin down into dribble handoff or get into some point series stuff or do do something different than the cut so and maybe that comes where they come down the floor and you don't know if florida is going to run um point series or continuity ball screen that would be great i'd be happy with that um but, uh, oh, oh, sorry. I forgot. I was got back on my train of thought. Uh, this is what's kind of funny, uh, but also not funny at all. For so long, there was a certain segment of Florida fans who all they wanted Florida to do was play faster. They were so upset with how <laughs> Mike White's teams played so slow. And it's like looking at right now, like Florida is 33rd in adjusted tempo. The stat that people use out of context because it factors in defensive tempo which as much as we say that a lot of people don't understand that even in the media um but in average possession like they are 77th which if you would have said that a, you know a year ago or two years ago three years ago there's a lot of fans who'd be like oh yes finally but like we're seeing that pace is not like everything the speed they get into is is not everything i will say like i would not classify this offense as stagnant that's that is for sure like and as much as i'm not a continuity ball screen fan just generally speaking there's you know it, it does it does provide spacing. It provides ball movement. Um, it, it provides player movement. So as much right. as like, as much as, you know, I would, I, I don't like it. 
in a in a vacuum. I I'd ha- I have I have to admit, I will say it provides ball movement, player movement, and spacing. And I can see right. so I can see why a coach like Todd Golden would be like, I want ball movement, player movement, and spacing. Um, let's get into it. Um, whereas the teams that I would classify as stagnant at Florida the last couple of years did not have ball movement. They did not have player movement and I'll give them spacing, but they didn't have the other two things. And they were, you know, running uphill dribble handoffs um, on the sideline, 40 feet from the basket. It's like, no, that's not, that's not threatening. Whereas at least like Florida is running side pick and rolls, which are inherently a fine action, even if it's with a guy who's not a great pick and roll ball handler. So, um, just for, for those, like, yes, on the Gator Country forums, will you hear people saying, like, this looks just like Mike White basketball? That's just, like, just not true for so many reasons. And I I, hate, I honestly hate myself for even saying that on this podcast. It didn't even deserve the 15 seconds I've now I've now given it. So, um, but, yeah, I, I, the, my, my kind of final thought on continuity ball screen, I, I, I guess, is just I, I would like to win and lose games with my best players in their best situations. And within kind of regular continuity ball screen, you're getting, you know, your best pick and roll ball handler is only going to get like one out of every three pick and rolls. And Con Castleton's only going to be involved in every other pick and roll. And it's, it's just one of those things where like, if you're trying to maximize your, your talent, at least in my opinion, you want every action to have players in their best scenario. And that is one of the, uh, that is one of the things I do not like about continuity ball screen. It's just like, again, it's, it's I would, I would call it somewhat of an equal opportunity offense. Um, and I am not really a big fan of equal opportunity touches on the offensive end. Yeah, I think a lot of that makes sense. By the way, just to add a little statistical flavor to Eric's uh, possession length thing, Florida at 77 right now, which would be faster than all but two of Mike White's teams, his first two teams, 55th and 65th in possession length, and faster than any of Billy's four elite eight teams (laughs) in a row um, by a large distance. Billy's fastest team in that four-year Elite Eight stretch was Bradley Beal's uh, squad, which was 150th. Um, and I guarantee you some of that was like Bradley Beal happened to get the ball in transition. <laughs> and those possessions, if you watch the National Basketball Association, tend to not last very long. Um, Donovan's number one overall seed and Final Four team was 350th in possession length out of 358 that year. Um, so a little bit of... Tony Bennett ball uh, inspired maybe by Billy Donovan. Um, By the way, the two seed that Florida had the year prior that lost to Michigan was uh, 344th in possession. So lots of different ways to skin a cat missed uh, to our fan base that really just wanted to play fast. Um, And I, by the way, I think noticing like the whites precipitous decline in like tip possession length uh, is kind of, a hint that mid-major coaches often adjust. Yeah, that's a no. It's a it's a great point, and and um, again, I do think that there are some moments too where I do think the Florida is looking better, like scoring in transition. That's the other thing that is like so that I still find so misleading about the Ken Palm average possession like number that is so used out of context is like it, it's it, yeah it's. It, like I feel like people see fast possession numbers and they think like, Oh, teams are running out in transition, but that number is going to have to do so much more with how fast teams are playing in the half court 
uh, more often. And I still think that, yeah, Florida is like playing with pretty good tempo in the half court. Like they, again, as much as I continue to say, don't love continuity ball screen. I, the one thing I guess I can say I like is that it's like, Hey, can you make a team guard many actions in the half court? And because the Gators are playing with good tempo in the half court, they are making teams guard several actions. Um, how threatening are those actions? Currently not super. Um, will that change? We will see, but, um, that is, uh, I guess all I really have to uh, say on, on that matter. Um, I guess one thing offensively, I guess to talk about, um, one player that had a you know very good game. Well, actually, actually both you, you can take it either way. Um, I did not have it on my personal um, Florida versus UConn bingo board that the lead, the scoring leaders would be tied between Alex Fudge and and Riley Kugel. Um, my one thought on that will be uh, you know I will just say that I continue to think that this this game of of college basketball is is won by not necessarily just NBA players. Cause that can be too much to ask for, but NBA level athletes, the Gators played a pretty good basketball team. And I think their two best athletes, arguably their two best athletes, pure athletes were the players that were able to kind of get something going against a good basketball team. Um, what did you think about Alex Fudge and Riley Kugel who were, you know, shared the lead with, with 13 points to lead the Gators? Yeah. Well, uh, Fudge, I just love the way he competed too. I thought, you know, he, he only ended up with five rebounds, but it seems like he was scrapping with much bigger players for more rebounds on numerous occasions. Um, and so I love to see that sort of competitiveness, um, you know, and to me, that's like an actual quantifiable measure of competitiveness as to like, Oh man, he really wants it. You know, like when you see with your eyes, Alex Fudge fighting for rebounds and getting a hand on a ball that maybe ends up with UConn, that's, that's great. So, you know, I think that's absolutely true. As for Kugel, you know, I think we're seeing why he's played a lot. Uh, and, you know, I mean, getting to the free throw line nine times um, against a team as good as UConn is really impressive. And this is maybe yet another guy that, like, Florida needs to run actions for Riley Kugel, it looks like, um, and Kowasi Reeves. And they need to get Riley Kugel going downhill – towards the hoop like his jump shot right now is fine i think eric you know i don't think that there's anything like mechanically i would necessarily he's one of those guys where it would be like billy donovan would definitely tell him to just keep shooting the way you're shooting um we're not going to try to fix anything uh but i think you know his strength at this point is he can get into the lane and and draw contact and by the way he hit two threes um against yukon so yeah, I mean, he's an impressive young man and a player who's only going to get better and I think really diversifies what Florida wants to do offensively. You know, we heard a lot about how he's way ahead on the defensive end, and we can talk about that if we want. I don't see that as much um, as a freshman, but, I mean, there's a lot to love about what he offers offensively. Yeah, defensively, there's some moments where he's just gotten just cooked on the perimeter in, in ways that I think he's just a little over aggressive, being used to probably being the best athlete on the floor. And and there's guys who are he sees guys that are not good as good athletes as him, and he thinks he can really dog him really far from the hoop. And uh, he's got shifted a couple of times and gave up some straight line drives that I think he was just a little bit over aggressive. But obviously, he's got physical tools and he plays hard. So like, if he's gonna get burned off the dribble early in his college career. Um, I, I would accept that when it's because he's playing very aggressively and, uh, and like playing hard 
thinking he can lock a guy up. I, you, you kind of love to see that. I don't, wouldn't want it to get to the, I will say Scotty Lewis range of this happening for his entire two years at Florida. Like at that point you, you want to see adjustments, but Hey, early, early in his time, I'd like to see a six foot five athletic guy playing with a lot of fire on the perimeter, even if it's going to mean he gets, you know, burned a couple of times. Yep. Um, so uh, in terms of his his ability as a, as a help defender and within the team concepts, I will be honest with you. I do not have really any any thoughts. I don't think he's – I haven't really noticed him missing rotations. Um, I haven't really noticed him making great ones. Yeah. But that's when the, that's when the, maybe the coaching staff um, – that's that's where they would they would know better than me. But uh, no, I wouldn't say he's been a – yeah, wouldn't, wouldn't get like a gold star for me defensively, but it certainly hasn't been bad. And offensively has great moments. And then there's also, again, he, you put him in the category of guys that I don't think are great pick-and-roll ball handlers. Um, we saw him pick up a charge um, pretty early in this one. Um, just, you know, go, going right into help. Um not making the best read, but um, again, you, you like to see a guy go going aggressive, even if it's, he's still got to, you know, iron out when exactly to do that. But I think it was an example of like, yeah, this guy can get going downhill with a whole lot of force and can dunk the ball with anger. And I just would like to see that coming from like, that's a guy too. When I think about the point stuff that San Francisco was running at um, uh, or sorry, that golden hat at San Francisco or what they were running at Richmond with current offensive coordinator. Like, I just think like, he's a guy who coming off, pin down into dribble handoff or coming off a stay or setting a stagger for him and him rejecting it and getting some back cuts or um, him curling a screen um, after the ball gets entered to Colin Castle, then just, just, yeah, like touches going downhill. That would be my, my dream for him, but maybe he also gets really good as being a pick and roll ball handler. And then he goes to the NBA because if he becomes a good pick and roll ball handler with that size and athleticism, he'll be a, be a, well, I already think he's going to be an NBA player probably, or at least have every opportunity that would really yep. help his stock. So, yeah, I just think uh, I I I don't think it, it was a I just don't think it was a surprise. I guess like while I did just lead with saying I would have never guessed that Florida's two high scores in this game. I shouldn't say never would have guessed. I wouldn't have guessed <laughs> that the two high scores would be Alex Fudge and, and Riley Kugel. It also was like maybe it was one of those things that like huh maybe it's you know not surprising that again Florida's two best athletes guys that are kind of pretty and NBA looking dudes went up against uh I, I went up against a team that was uh really good number one team in the country we'll say and uh were the guys that were kind of able able to make something happen I will also say actually what my final continuity ball screen reference of the day will be that those that was where Alex Fudge was able to get some of those slot drives um off yep. ball reversals because again yep. he is a perimeter player who's happens to be six foot nine and uh so that was that was an area where he was able to get some downhill pressure getting that ball reversal and just you know driving right down the slot so uh yeah i would say pretty impressive games for them and it's also one of those things you can if you're looking for some kind of positives i guess you can say like well if we get that riley kugel and that alex fudge and we know that con castleton can what, what he can be and then you know healthy will richard when he gets there what we think like you can start to kind of like if you want to be an optimist for sure, you could say like, well, these two guys played, played well in a, against a really, really good opponent. Um, maybe that's something. And I guess when you get, uh, when you get killed like that on your home floor, that's all you can kind of hope for is that you get those positives moving forward and some confidence for, for these guys. That's like, Hey, we, you know, we really hung in with, with some really good players on, on UConn. Like we can do this. And um, I, I, I was going to also get your thoughts on, on some of the post-game comments from, from, from Todd Golden and, and Colin Castleton were the, were the two guys I heard it from that um, I will not try to give a verbatim quote, but kind of said something along the lines of like, 
yeah, UConn's been been killing everyone. Like, you know, this wasn't like, they weren't like, wow, we've got a, like you mentioned, you know, we got to want it more. We got to play harder. There wasn't a lot of that. <laughs> there was like, there was like, hey, we, uh, you know, UConn's really beaten everyone like this. And we're just kind of happened to us too. I'm just kind of curious what, uh, what your thoughts were on those, on those comments. I will just lead in by saying like, again, I, 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 I that was one thing I loved about Mike White. Some of his, openness and candidness in in post-game interviews and 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 golden in a kind of similar but also different way has been pretty open he wasn't like oh our guys got to execute better we got to work hard he's just like he was kind of implied that he's pretty happy with the effort it was kind of just like kind of open and like well we know UConn's incredible and we're not the first team that they've done this to and we're not going to be the last team so it was it was a still pretty refreshing to hear that from golden whereas you could still hear some uh, some pretty funny other sound bites from other coaches in uh in the press conferences uh these days yeah i mean eric they were up 27 against alabama so i mean mm. they're beating alabama by 27 points alabama beat the number one team in the country uh saturday as we record on sunday they beat houston so alabama's pretty good it looks like um and Alabama is another one of those teams that sometimes can lose by a lot because they have more possessions. Um, so I think, yes, like Mike White lost two games by 20 plus points in his entire tenure. Um, but Florida was playing a lot slower when those losses occurred. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, you know, if you're going to accumulate more possessions, you can lose more. And, you know, Dan Hurley was complimentary of Florida's defense. And I thought, you know, when I mentioned competitiveness, like, I didn't think it was just fudge, uh, but I thought he, he kind of exemplified that. I don't think this was necessarily an effort problem. Um, I still have some rotation concerns, um, Eric, and I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on those. Like, And this is where I think plus minus can be useful. Like, So Riley Kugel was minus two, which was Florida's best. And he played almost, tw- he played 20 and a half minutes, 20 minutes, 32 seconds at minus two is pretty darn good. Um against UConn and you know you kind of compare and contrast that with say Myron Jones who by the way uh is now 0 for 8 from sorry 0 for 9 from 3 against anyone in the top 200 in Ken Palm um so he's yet to hit a three-pointer against anyone with a pulse uh and you know you go minus 11 in seven minutes I mean come on man like that speaks to just this thing. Like he is not a capable defender in these games against high level athletes. And so, you know, now that we've established that Trey Bonham is going to play a lot uh, and has earned the right to play a lot. Why are we really using Myron? I, I guess, I mean, you mentioned it earlier. I suppose that it's that he's got nice pick and roll numbers, but like, I just don't get it. He's not hitting shots. He's not a plus defender. I'm sure he, and I know he's a nice young man who works really hard. Um, but, you know, so are a lot of the guys on this team. Like, I just don't, his minutes, I don't understand. Um, especially in a world where like a CJ Felder plays six and a half minutes and like is a zero in his plus minus. Like, get your glue guy on the floor, man. Like, you know, I don't, Myron's not offering things in these types of games. Yeah, Jones took a fading to the baseline again empty side ball screen situation um so he's going towards the you know towards the empty side and from like 14 feet fading to towards the baseline took a floater that was off by six feet 
And like, that was just one of those things where it's like, if he's in the game and he thinks that that's an acceptable shot to take either, he's like, either I would just agree greatly or sorry, I would disagree greatly with the role that he's in. If he thinks that's what he's there to do, or, you know, he needs to, he needs to understand his role a little bit more because him coming in the game and with 22 seconds on the shot clock, taking like the ugliest floater we've, we've seen in years, like that's just, that, that cannot be the case when he's in the game. And I think just, again, the, the, the big thing that I, that I think I would see differently than, than what the staff is usually is currently using him in was like, if you're going to play Myron Jones, like, again, I'm putting him off the ball. Ideally I'm running screens for him, try to get him some threes, some clean looks at three and we'll see if he's hot this day. Um, but Florida obviously sees him as the backup point guard where I would like to see more situations where like, I would like to see pretty much every minute played by Kyle Lofton and Trey Bonham at the one and get more of these Riley Kugels, Kwesi Reeves. Uh, of course, we'd like to see Niles Lane. I've nothing really more to say on <laughs> Lane for this podcast. I don't know if you do, but, but yeah, like I just would like to see the more NBA looking wings on the floor yep. with, um, so, uh, yeah, I guess that would be just the biggest thing is I would see Myron Jones as a wing. Right now, Florida sees him as a backup point guard. Um, so, yeah, I just – from the time that, that that floater left his fingertips and from the camera angle at, on the TV broadcast, you knew from the moment it left his hand that it was not going to even touch rim. Um, yeah, that was just one of those things where it's like that that that's just not acceptable. And it just – it was like everything from like I don't know if he – knows what his, what his role is, or if the staff is putting him in a role where it's like, Hey, we want you to come off ball screens and try to score, which it would just be not something that he has shown. He can, he can do at a high level. Again, his pick and roll balling numbers are actually okay throughout his career, surprisingly to many people, including myself, but yeah, that just, <laughs> that was, that was not a good possession. Um, I currently, my, uh, lineup data tool of choice is not working what were cj felder's plus minus and what was uh what was jason jatobo's plus minus if you have it in front of you because i i will say live i was kind of hoping for a little more cj felder and i uh, didn't love all the jason jatobo kind of minutes i would say that's another kind of like interesting kind of role one that uh we're still trying to figure out the uh how much to play jason jatobo do we like cj felder at the five uh, and of course, when Alex Fudge plays well and, and commands our minutes at the four, that's going to mean less CJ Felder unless he gets those back at five minutes. Yeah, so it was minus three for Jatobo, which isn't that okay. bad, really. Um, and then zero for Felder. Oh, uh, that's so very interesting. Was, yeah, so he broke even. Yeah, no, that's uh, I not that I thought that Jason Jatobo was getting killed out there in a way that I did think he was being made a liability in, in some previous games. Um, but just uh, there was definitely times where like, I just would have liked a little more the, the, the versatility of a, of a CJ Felder who can guard a little bit on the perimeter while also being yep. able to, to bang down low. And uh, I did think that a couple times that, yeah, the, the Jason Jatobo minutes uh, didn't look great, but yeah, I didn't think it was super bad, but Hey, just to see that uh, plus minus wise, wasn't too bad in, in those stretches. And again, I don't remember maybe, maybe even, I don't really remember who's on the floor during garbage time. And that can obviously skew some of these minutes for guys and in, in inconsequential minutes where, you know, this game certainly had certainly had garbage time. Um, but uh, yeah, that's, uh, I'm curious if you have any, any, any thoughts or anything, anything different. I know we've definitely talked about that in, in previous podcasts. No, I mean, I'm, I, I didn't really take anything from this game other than like, you know, obviously like, yeah, I mean, I'd like to see Niles play because size and athleticism and things of that nature on the defensive end. I think this team 
is improving defensively, but he makes them better defensively. We saw that he did that last year. So, you know, um, but if they're not going to play him for whatever reason, um, offense, I suppose, uh, then, you know, I don't think, I guess I'm at the point now where like Myron Jones should not play for the same reason because he does not offer anything offensively. He doesn't make shots. He takes bad shots. Um, and he's not even in the same stratosphere as Niles is on the defensive side of the floor. So like he doesn't need to be on the floor. And those are minutes that, you know, CJ Felder can play in my mind. Yeah, that's about um I think that's all I have from from the Yukon game. I don't know if I have have any more any anything to say. Do you have any more any more talking points? Anything more you no, want to No, I mean look. Now? No, I don't. I mean it's a 21 point loss. I think Eric made a, a positive point that there are some positives to take. I do think Florida's offense shows flashes of of doing some really good things. And quite honestly, I haven't said that in a couple of years. Um mm-hmm. so, you know, Full credit to to Kevin Hubday and and the staff for what they are doing well. Um, hopefully they can build on that. Look, um, this is not an easy project. And I guess this was kind of my main thing I wanted to get across before we talk about Ohio to our listeners is like, look, um, NATO is a great place to start. I watched a lot of that game yesterday. Um, and they are playing a little slower this year. They're like 26th in tempo, which is still really fast. <laughs> But his first three teams were all in the top 10, uh, second, sixth, and 10th um, in that order. And I think, you know, Nate has adjusted in other ways. He's also brought in a ton of talent. But they went 16 and 15 with a team that had no business going 16 and 15 his first year. Uh, They they were way too talented to go 16 and 15. And right now, you know, and I tweeted it out, so I'll defend it with my voice, not just my, you know, Twitter fingers. I Florida should be better than six and four um, through 10 games. They are a better team talent wise. The sum of their parts is greater than a six and four record. Um, and that Alabama team, there's some similarities. I mean, they went to a feast week tournament and just got clobbered by two, the two good teams they played North Carolina and Iowa state just ran them out of buildings. Um, and, you know, were Alabama a school where their fan base had cared about basketball at all until last year or two years ago, uh, they probably would have had loud fans too. And that his first team went 16 and 15, Eric. Um, and they had some nights where they beat people that were really good. Like when they beat, you know, LSU and when they beat Auburn and when they beat Kentucky, and then they had nights where they were so bad, uh, and lost to teams that they just had no business losing to. Um, in Nate's first year, uh, you know, for example, they got clobbered by the worst Vanderbilt team, you know, who knows one of the worst Vanderbilt teams ever, uh, beat them 87 to 69. So, <laughs> uh, the point being these, when mid-major coaches come, it can take some time to adjust. And I think as Eric said earlier, like everybody's sort of learning, the staff is learning, um, the players are learning new system. And so, you know, I don't, I think Florida's underachieved a little, Eric, we could debate on a whole nother show probably when the season's over as to what, whether Florida should be a school where you learn on the job. Um, but I think Todd Golden would be the first to tell you, cause he is candid that there's some things he's figuring out. And right now, like Florida just needs to play better. 
um, as a whole. Doesn't mean that there's not promising things going on. Just means that right now, I think that the product has not been great uh, or consistent enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and there's still like encouragement where I like again, if we want to talk last year where we kind of knew pretty uh, agree that yeah. that there was that there was issues. I, there was issues that I just didn't really see a roadmap to them getting better. And of course, the season went as we know it did. Um, this year again, we just talked about how like Riley Kugel and Alex Fudge were two of the best offensive pieces in a game against the number one team. That's pretty exciting. We think that the Gators have not gotten like, like Kwesi Reeves has not been what we think he can be. Um, there's that. We think that there's a chance that they break class in case of emergency. Niles Lane comes in and, and, and gives a boost. Uh, like there, there's some good dudes on this, on this team. Um, and I think that there's just some, some things um, offensively figuring out how to get the most out of them that has to happen. And, uh, but there's, it's, it's something that I think could happen. And uh, it's also great to play in a conference like the Southeastern where you get the, all, every opportunity that, that you want to get a good seed and uh, still make the NCAA tournament. Whereas like, yeah, looking at their net right now, it's, it's, uh, that's not super inspiring. You don't like having to, you know, scroll, scroll, scroll to see where the Gators are, are in the net, but yeah. uh, hey, it's, it's, again, it's, 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 it's early. So um, yeah, there's uh it's it's uh, while some people have certainly entered, you know, the the early panic mode that that will that will not be us. And I'm just excited for uh, to see see what happens. And yeah, if things go bad, we'll we'll, we'll talk about it. I feel like we've been appropriately critical about what we feel, but uh, all hope is is certainly not lost. And I think they'll have we'll, we'll have an opportunity to to hopefully show a little bit better against Ohio on Wednesday, taking place in Tampa. I forget if that will be designated a true neutral site game or a semi home. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll see how that all, all shakes down, but the game is, is, is in Tampa against the Ohio Bobcats. So, uh, this is a game that we, you know, we want to talk tempo Ohio plays quite slow, quite methodically. They've got quite an interesting roster, not an interesting roster makeup, but, uh, they don't really have wings. They kind of play like six foot, six foot, six, two on the perimeter. And then like two guys that I would consider true centers. Um, one name that like, if you're a real sicko who just loves the show, you will remember the summer of 2020 when the Gators were looking at a transfer from James Madison named Dwight Wilson, who's like a six foot eight, 250 pound rebounding machine. And Florida was interested. And I said, came on the podcast and said, please no, this is not the guy the Gators need. He ended up transferring to not the Gators, but Ohio where he has played three good years. Um, but again, he's a good player at the, you know, middle of the Mac level. Um, but, uh, so they, they've kind of got like these, these three smaller guards and then two kind of like physical banger centers, um, that are going to try to post up and, 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 and bang you down low. So they play slow methodically and it's like a lot of pick and roll, a lot of, a lot of post ups, um, very structured game. And that's who the Gators will be seeing on, on Wednesday. Yeah, and Ohio, one of the teams that was just absolutely decimated by the new college basketball universe that we're in, um, the transfer portal. I mean, keep in mind, this is an NCAA tournament program. But, I mean, some people, as I recall, when they got in a couple years ago, there were people that had them in the Sweet 16. Like, they were that good. Uh, And they do play, you know, like a very, as Eric said, a very methodical brand of basketball. Um, You know, I think a lot of people – really respect Jeff Bowles as a coach. He was excellent, excellent at Stony Brook. Took them from, you know, a team that won six games in 2016 to the NCAA tournament in 2019. 
um, and then got to Ohio and, and would have been in in the COVID year and then was in the following year. So a good basketball coach, but they lost their best two players. Uh, very, very clearly their best two players and maybe two of the best players in the Mac, quite honestly, um, in the portal. Ben Vanderplas uh, is at Virginia playing for his godfather in the weirdest six degrees of Tony Bennett uh, story of all time. And, um, you know, anybody that watched the Continental Tire main event saw how good Ben, ben Vanderplas has been for the for the Who's, who could be number one, um, but it'll probably be UConn. And then uh, Mark Sears, who has been spectacular for NATO. It's in Alabama. And a big reason why it looks like I'm going to have to eat a lot of humble pie on my NATO takes because Mark Sears has gone home. NATO didn't recruit him. And to Mark Sears' credit, uh, he has forgiven and forgotten <laughs> and returned home to Alabama and is just tearing things up in his home state. Uh you know, he had 11 yesterday in their win over Houston. He had 24 in their – now they played like three games, but he still had 24 against UNC. Uh, 20 in their um, victory over uh, South Dakota State, who's pretty good. Um, so, you know, he he can play. Um, both those guys gone, and now they're left with basically two double-figure scorers. And um, – you know, as Eric said, they they play small. They shoot the three well. Um, so there's your red flag warning if you're concerned about this game. Uh, but it's not really a game Florida can afford to lose if they have and harbor NCAA tournament dreams, which of course they do. Um, Ohio ranked 200th in Ken Palm. So even if the Gators win, unless Ohio like does just terrible things to Youngstown State today, which isn't going to happen, um, you know, the Gators would – with a win, still be without a win over a team in the top 200 at Kimbom. Now we record just before they play uh, a very talented Youngstown State team, one of the best offensive teams of the mid-major level. So we'll see how that one goes. Um, But uh, I do think that uh, Ohio's, the way that Ohio likes to to play out of pick and roll, it's like, again, they've got like six foot, six foot one, six foot two from the, the one to three, and they'll get all those guys in ball screens, but like none of them are very good finishers at the rim. Again, just smaller guards. Um, that are not super athletic. So they are really running a lot of pick and rolls, looking to spray out to shooters. So I think the way that Florida drops pick and rolls and goes two for two a little bit, like Florida's done pretty well at taking away like opponent three, three point attempts in those settings. So uh, I, I think that what they will probably try to do is go a little bit more. Yeah. Playing out of the post with AJ Clayton and, and Dwight Wilson. Um, and again, we've seen that Florida likes to play just one-on-one in the post. And I think that Ohio will probably say like, well, let us slow this game down as much as possible. And with 10 seconds left, let's get a Dwight Wilson post up against Colin Castleton. And uh you know, we'd love to see him score. If he doesn't, let's set our defense in transition. Like, I think they're they're probably, and I don't think the Gators are going to want to double down on, on those guys. So uh, I think that it might be a situation where we see a lot of posts up from Ohio. They'll just be content to play this game pretty slow. See if Dwight Wilson can, like, get Con Castle into foul trouble. Um I'm pretty sure Dwight Wilson hasn't had like a dunk in, in several seasons. He's just like that below the rim, just banger. Um, but again, he's a good player. Don't get me wrong. And just, and and he's also very good on the offensive glass. So when those threes go up, yeah, the Gators have to be aware of, of, of those guys. So um, yeah, it's, it's uh, I, I don't know if this will be the, the most uh, thrilling game 
Um, that is not the style of play that that Ohio plays. Um, and they are going to try to make the game as not thrilling as possible. Whereas the Gators, um, of course, with a little bit more athleticism, um, who play faster, as we know, as we talked about previously in the podcast, uh, they'll try to make it a, a little bit more up tempo. Um, Ohio is mixed in some some two three zone. Um, I'll be interested to see if they do that against the Gators. It was a little bit earlier in the season they played it mostly and it did not go well for them. So they've stayed out of it a little bit. Again, we will see when they play a very talented offensive Youngstown State team uh, how much how much zone they play because that will be probably uh, give some kind of indication of, of of what they want to do against you know good offensive teams. Um, and yes, I'll put Gators in the good offensive category, um, for the context of, of, of this. So, uh, we'll, we'll see it, but it'll be, it'll be like a two, three. And again, they're just, they're so small on the perimeter, um, with these, these little guards and, and often playing a six foot two player at, at the three. So, uh, Gators might see some two, three zone. Um, luckily the Gators have been very good against two, three zone. That that's actually one thing that's like, if the Gators played in a different conference, like there's so little zone played in the sec, and yeah. the Gators have been good against zone so far offensively. So good. Um, uh, so it's like one of those things. It's like, oh, if only the Gators played in a, a little bit more of a zone-heavy offense or conference, we could be like, oh, Florida's offense is great. But because they're going to play a lot of man and have played against a lot of man so far, <laughs> then we're talking about continuity ball screen for 15 minutes. Um, but yeah, so we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll see if they play man and we'll see how that continuity ball screen works or if the Gators do something else. Or we will see if they get to see some zone where they will probably feast and Alex Fudge will probably catch the ball in the high post several times and, and get a whole bunch of buckets. Yeah, man, that's a great point about the zone too. And we should add that that's, there's, there's another encouraging thing. I mean, Florida yes. was pretty, Florida was pretty hapless against two, three or any zone under Mike White. And that was a problem from year one to the end. Um, even when Dusty May was here, Florida was kind of ragged against zone defenses Um you know, you'll remember that Frank Martin switched to his own in the Elite Eight game, uh, and Florida had a lot of problems, as as you'll all recall, and probably didn't go to the Final Four because of it. So, uh, in any event, definitely much, much better and just crisper in attacking it. That's looked good. One thing I'll say is Florida, you know, as Eric said, just attack mismatches in this game. You, the Ohio's biggest problem really isn't that they're bad, it's that they're small and they have a lot of trouble defending. They don't turn the ball over very much. Their point guard, Jalen Hunter, I think is a nice player. Um, he came from Old Dominion, who uh, – so it was kind of a weird lateral move that some people were curious about. Like, why would he leave? Because uh, Old Dominion is a decent program, but he left. He's a nice player, Eric. Um, doesn't really turn the ball over. Not a high-level scorer, but I think an excellent passer um, and probably their best perimeter defender. Uh, in, in any event, the biggest problem, as Eric said, is that they're just so small up front or, or out in the backcourt. And so you can really get them in mismatches pretty easily. Um, and that's what has kind of happened to them this year. They haven't necessarily played bad offense by any stretch of the imagination. They haven't shot themselves in the foot, but they're 248th in Kimpom defense. And uh, a lot of that's because they're not big enough to guard people. Yeah, it's like they're they're too small on the perimeter, and then when it comes to their interior player, such as Dwight Wilson, it's like he's like too big. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he's just can't really guard on the perimeter. It's also worth noting that yeah, Miles Brown, another one of their starting guards, is uh, sixteen for thirty three from three to start the season, so forty nine percent. Ben Roderick, who's like one of their like one of the only like wingy looking guys at six five, comes off the bench mostly. He's he's eleven for twenty one, so he hasn't taken a lot of attempts, but he's shooting you know fifty two percent. So 
are those numbers for real? Um, judging on the careers of them, uh, not not really, but they are hot to start the season. And um, again, you can just see that their offense is, is all about trying to generate these these open threes. So something to watch for, I would say, is is when they run their pick and rolls, can the Gators kind of contain it two on two? And challenge like the Jalen Hunter, um, as Neil mentioned, to to score at the rim, or Miles Brown, or um, Devon Baker, like these these guards that are all looking to spray it out to shooters. Um, they also don't really pick and pop. Both AJ Clayton and, and Dwight Wilson are not pick and pop threats. So those guys are diving, trying to get help, and then they're trying to get it to, to their shooters. So uh, yeah, it'll be. Uh, I don't even want to say like I don't think this will be even like a good test for the Gators necessarily. I think the Florida has guarded these actions well so far so i'm anticipating the gators to actually play quite well defensively uh against this team and uh that that'll hopefully make for what is a a a relatively drama free game and an opportunity for um hopefully you know some fans in the tampa area to to enjoy a good basketball game yeah no i hope so and that's another thing i mean i and i mentioned it earlier like a couple times florida defended pretty well against uconn i thought uh they really did um and their defense has been a lot better since we had like almost an entire podcast dedicated to why this team was struggling defensively. So uh, that's great. You know, it's great to see, keep it up, Uh, play good defense against Ohio and then take that with you to the Jumpman invitational, you know, and see if you can get your signature non-conference win there. I mean, Florida is good enough to beat some of these teams are certainly good enough to beat Oklahoma. Um, and you know, from a talent standpoint, so it's got to happen sooner or later, but can't trip up in these games. Uh, Todd Golden and the staff have done a good job of beating most of the teams they're supposed to beat, uh, so far. But again, I think they probably should have competed better in Portland and, and, uh, the record is a, a little re- reflects some underachievement, but tomorrow is a new day. Wednesday is a new day. Um, and we will see where things go from there. Um, any other thoughts, Eric, or you can just, uh, sign us off, I guess. Uh, I, I just have one thing that I think is preposterous once again, from the Gator country forums, where several people are questioning or challenging the, the logistics of getting to a downtown game in, in Tampa. I, I just am curious if you have it here, here, I thought this was a, a good location, but some people think it's uh, not a great place to go not great parking situation. Um, Neil, would you uh, do you have any comments on the logistics of sporting events in in uh, downtown Tampa? <laughs> having uh, having both attended and covered many sporting events in the Tampa area, I will say that uh, that is just absolute nonsense. <laughs> I, I, I assumed as much, but uh, yeah, man, forums mean, are wonderful. I love my Gator Country members. Oh, it's I. I mean, I love them too. But hey, give me a break. There's like three different ways uh to to get to downtown tampa um it's not like you have to like take the howard franklin and sit in traffic on 270 i mean no no uh and there there's plenty of places to park and um yeah i mean come on man come on man i i I assumed as much um but yeah hopefully that there's there's an opportunity for some people that uh don't can't always get to like a 7 p.m wednesday tip in in gainesville but uh can make that in 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 tampa so um obviously it's fun to play different venues um so and i would love to see the gators kind of continue to play different places in state so very supportive of the scheduling um and uh yeah look forward to talking talking about it afterwards so uh thank you to everyone for listening go gators and keep attacking closeouts